This is a Mirakami Minute presented by the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. It appears we are wrapping up another season of a Mirakami Minute, Spencer. Oh, is that their seasons? Then? I don't know. They're not seasons because this isn't a podcast <laughs> strictly for Mirakami. It could be. If we ever wanted to, we could do a podcast that's just a Mirakami Minute, and people would probably love it way more than our regular podcast. But this is a Mirakami Minute. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Mr. Spencer Church. I don't know why I gave you such a hard intro. Spencer Church, you don't need yeah. that. You don't need the who. No, not on this episode. Uh, last week we covered uh, Hear the Wind Sing. Yes. And I think I made a mistake and said that was, he wrote, I don't remember when we discussed that. Uh, I think he wrote those in like the early 70s. That was published in 1979. Pinball 1973 is was published in 1980. There's also another point of contention here, Spencer. I don't remember if I discussed in the last episode the translator. I thought no, it was. No, we did not talk about translation. Okay, well, I thought it was Alfred Birnbaum who did his early works, which, I, as you remember from our past episodes, he's not my. Like when we did the collection. Yeah. Uh, he did some of the translations and that. He's not my favorite translator for Mirakami. I, I thought he was like the weakest translator out of the ones that I've read. And I thought he was the one who translated this because that's what it came up on my initial inspection. But if you look, there's cover for the book yeah. inside the ori- I guess it's the original cover. No, it's a vintage international cover. But this says it was translated from the Japanese by Ted Goosen, mm-hmm. which I have not read any uh, outside of these two books. I have yeah. not read any Ted Goosen uh, translations, but I think he did a fine job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came off very Mirakami-esque, though that could also be why the work, not just because this was uh, Mirakami's first two novels, but also why it seems a little sophomoric. Like the writing, especially in the first novel, came across as a little amateurish. It might be because the translator as well was a different translator from what we're used to. They probably did that specifically because if they did like Jay Rubin or one of these guys that always do his work, they would probably put the modern Mirakami lens on when they're writing and be more sophisticated. No, he might just not even have known those people that. You know what I mean? Like he might have not. Well, I don't know if this was, because this is the vintage cover the Vintage International cover. So I don't know if this was the 19... Or whenever they first translated the English. I don't know if this is that version or if this is just a different translator. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. It doesn't really matter. I'll give a brief synopsis here for this one for the folks who have not read it, which you should. It's very easy to read. I read it in a couple hour sittings. Pinball 1973 is a novel published in 1980 by Japanese author Haruki Murakami. The second book in the trilogy of the Rat series, it is preceded by Hear the Wind Sing 1979 and followed by A Wild Sheep Chase 1982 and is the second novel written by Mirakami. I will say this one is more of a novel than the first one, but still not like Wild Sheep Chase. The plot centers on the narrator's brief but intense obsession with pinball, his life as a freelance translator, and his later efforts to reunite with the old pinball machine that he used to play. That's like the last like 20 pages of the thing. Yeah. He describes living with a pair of identical unnamed female twins who mysteriously appear in his apartment one morning and disappear at the end of the book. Interspersed with the narrative are his memories of the Japanese student movement and of his old girlfriend Naoko, who hanged herself. The plot alternates between describing the life of narrator and that of his friend the rat. Many familiar elements from Mirakami's later novels are present. Wells, which are mentioned often in Mirakami's novels, and play a prominent role in the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, occur several times in Pinball, as well as um, in here, the Wind Sing. They were, there was that, that chapter that was like a, I don't know, sci-fi chapter that was dedicated to Wells. There is also a brief discussion of the abuse of a cat, a plot element which reoccurs elsewhere in Mirakami's fiction. 
especially Kafka on the Shore and the Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, in which the search for a missing cat is an important plotline. Rain and the sea are also prominent motives, not mention spaghetti dinners. Yes. And beer drinking. So much Good beer. Lord. Sick. What's, what do they do more, drink beer or smoke cigarettes? Ah, uh, both. Cigarettes, I think, by far, though, because every single character yeah. just constantly smoking. I'm like, holy shit, how do you all not have cancer? And, like, I'm not a huge drinker, especially of beer. But did it kind of make you want to well, drink? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did after, for me after, too. after reading those two stories, I kind of was just like, I want a cold one. The way he wrote it every time was just like, and they always fill the glass, because that's like a Japanese thing. You just fill the glass, because they had the small glasses. Mm-hmm. So you fill, like, the glass half up, and then you drink it, and then you, re, you know, fill it up with the rest of the bottle. And it's just almost like a little ritual that just makes you, that's what this whole book is. It's like well, because don't they kind of do the same with um like with like sake too? Like they pour yeah. like whatever they're gonna drink and then drink it and then they just you know they pour again. Yeah, it's a, a lot of their eating habits too are almost like ritualistic, which is cool. Uh, you know, they always do the ikitaki nut moss or whatever when they're they're about to eat and uh, just stuff like that is cool. But like this whole novel reads like that, where it's just it's nostalgia heavy. And again, it's really interesting reading something that makes you nostalgia for a time, place, and period, like a group of people in a period where you, we've never existed. And no, weren't even about. born. Yeah, don't know anything about, but I'm like nostalgic for this beachside town they live in, uh, minus the cigarettes. There is like this vein of nihilism that runs through this whole story, mainly from the rat's perspective. Uh, he's a very down character in this book, but he does uh, have more of a prominent role than he did in the first book. His arc is strange because he's like every other chapter for a while. I feel like he's like oh, like fifty. It's almost close to like fifty percent. And yeah, and it's written in a unique, unique way because with the opening, it's an, uh, back to the unnamed narrator. I'm assuming from the first book, it never actually explicitly states that, but it's. Yeah. I think it is. I was I was gonna ask you about that because like I was just trying to get the guy's timeline figured out. I think it's again him in the future replaying a decade in the past so it, it it starts off right after the first book ends pretty much with school's over and he's like he has a job as a translator before we get into that though so the rat every other chapter is the rat's perspective or not even from his perspective so every chapter uh with the narrators from his perspective he's telling the story but then when you go to the rat i don't it's different it's a you know third person narrator uh, narrating what's happening to the rat in very great detail. So, like, the rat's thinking this, the rat's doing this. So it's like, who's writing that? Or, like, yeah. well, whose perspective is that? Because it can't be the narrator. How would he know all this? I don't really think him and the rat interact in this book. No, because it's, like... Um, Different uh, periods of time or something, Yeah, because, like, the rat interacts with Jay, the bar Who's very, much more prominent in this story, the bartender, Jay, from the first book. So it's him and the rat story, and then eventually the rat meets a girl, and it's a, th- a very unique story there. But going back to the narrator, so he gets a job out of college uh, with a buddy of his. They start a na- uh, translation firm. It seems like that should be really boring, but the way it's written, it just sounds like this guy has like this super comfy life. Mm-hmm. Not as in like he's wealthy or his job doesn't isn't like he works a lot, but just like the way everything's written. They hire this girl who they overpay, and she gets all these vacations, and she's just happy to be there with them. They all do their own parts at the job. You know, he's sitting there doing his translation work, and he sharpens his pencils methodically every day. He works from home a lot. Yeah, and he has, like, this this ritual. The girl that they're, what is she, like, uh, what do they call it, secretary, I guess? Mm. She um constantly is like, oh, she brings him tea and cookies and sews his broken sweaters. That is, sweaters are always fucked up. That's kind of weird in how that's written. 
but it's like it's just really like ah oh, that'd be nice it's like a unique to us and probably even to japan it's like a wholesome work environment mm-hmm. like a work environment that would be nice to have it's like oh everybody likes their job and they're just happy doing what they do uh, then we go into the life of the narrator's home life which is so you mm-hmm. it's so weird so he just like wake up wakes up one day and there's just two naked twins in his bed we never get a name yeah. for the twins for a while he's just naming them 208 and 209 because it's the numbers on their sweater but then they just like they're so weird like the way they talk and, and, and like he doesn't know their name no and it's almost like a figment of his imagination the way these twins act and they don't act they they never interact with anybody else as far as i know as far as i remember it's just with the narrator and they go on these weird adventures they do interact they interact with the guy who replaced the uh switch box or whatever it yeah. is for the phones like the phone lines that's the only character i really remember i mean they go shopping and stuff but you you don't see that so the real people but they don't have names. They don't want names. They're just very happy making coffee for this guy. Very good coffee, as it's mentioned many times. They all just drink beer and smoke cigarettes and lay around and just like they play like the same board games and stuff and listen to the music, the same kind of music every night. And it's just like this really, I, I can't describe it. I don't know if it's like a healthy relationship, but everyone's just happy. It's like it's, they all, they have their part in this relationship. And nobody seems to care. Like, there's no thoughts of jealousy, envy. It's Where like, are you going? Um, what's that? Um, like that polyandrism, or, or um, you know, like whenever there's like yeah, people um, are together, like in a group, but they you know what have... it reminds me of? Uh, it reminds me of a guy that has two dogs at home. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, he has sex with them all the time yeah. and stuff. But it's not described vividly in this. Thank God. But, you know, they sleep together every night and they like take care of him when he's sick and all this stuff. But it's literally just like a dog that like two dogs that just really care for you and you take care of them in return. He gives them money and they just live with them. And it never says what, where they came from. Mm-hmm. And then they leave just as mysteriously. He takes them at the end of the book to a, a bus stop and they just, OK, we're going. Yeah, we're going. And they leave. And like at, at first I was getting kind of confused because like uh Cause isn't the girl that he the the narrator talks to in the first story? Isn't she also a? Doesn't she have like a twin? Because she the only way they can tell them apart is because of one's got the pinky mi- missing. missing. And like a couple, but it's not like, them. Yeah, it's, it's not, not though. At first, I was like, is that like is she? They came back, and he just doesn't remember I, what they look like. I couldn't tell if there was supposed to be a callback to that where the narrator because he was talking about the girl that hanged herself. That's the one he was not necessarily hung up on, but that's the one that it's brought up in here. It doesn't mention the pinky girl unless that was her. Didn't say it was. Well, they never dated, so no. But I was thinking maybe the twins thing was him trying to, you know, rekindle the the girl that he mm. was missing. But it it never went into that. So I don't know what the twins represented um, other than just like an awesome home life. It just yeah. sounded so happy. I, that's the thing I got from it. It wasn't like a sexual thing. It was just like so happy. Like they're just compatible. I like the scene. It was like after you got done taking a bath or something, they would like cleaning them off and stuff like that. And they were they were cleaning out his ears and one make was, him deaf. One one was on each side, yeah. and he like sneezes or coughs or he something. He sneezed, and then like all the earwax clogged his ears, yeah. and he couldn't hear, and he kept yelling. He was really mad, and they were just calling him stupid for <laughs> sneezing. And he, and he's deaf for a while, but then he gets fixed. That's pretty much like how the book ends. Like then he, they go away, but and then they have like another hilarious scene. The switchboard operator, like the guy who has to replace the switchboards, comes over. And the narrator's like, ah, we like our switch. Because there's there's this nostalgic theme of the past that keeps coming up in every chapter. So, Which is weird to think of like a story about nostalgia 
it was taking place like in the 70s slash like eight yeah. 80s it's like what do you have to be nostalgic about but it's like just your past yeah. yeah that's a thing that runs in a lot of japanese fiction but what was unique about this take was even something as simple as switching to a modern switchboard for the phone company he didn't want to do it because he liked just the old one. Didn't really say why he liked it or, you know, just he didn't want to do it. Well, this guy's like, we have to because it'll mess up the works if you're the only one that's not, you know, switched over. So he come, the guy finally comes in and then he sees the twins and, the, and he's like, what? The, oh, twins? He's all like, oh, my God. He's all bonerific. Uh, then he does switch the thing. He leaves he because he's all stupefied and stuttering and he leaves and he forgets to take the old switchboard with him. So the girls take it, and there's just this like long multi-chapter thing with this stupid switchboard where they're treating it like it's a I forget it was like a sick dog or something. Uh, then it dies, quote unquote. They uh, bury it at sea. They have a funeral for it at sea. Uh, there's a lot of philosophical ramblings throughout this book. It was just so they strange. They would have picnics on a golf course that was nearby. But going back, going back to the rat because he had the more interesting life, really. His life was actually horrible, but by his own making. But as far as like the story arcs go, like he actually had a story arc, whereas our narrator just like eventually, randomly, just like all of a sudden is obsessed with pinball. And but the rat, like he meets a girl, and then he's very obsessive with like what is it like Monday, Sunday? I think they meet on either Saturday or Sunday. So every day of the week, except for Wednesday, is either him getting over just being with her on the weekend. Or him planning to get with her on the weekend, like on Saturday, I think it was. But Wednesday was like this weird day in between where he just, oh, I, I just don't know what to do with myself. And he's just very depressed. He's the nihilistic streak in this book. Uh, and then he just doesn't call. He's like obsessed with her, but he just doesn't call her one night. And then he just like goes to her house and watches from like the distance and he wants to talk to her. So it's like this longing and this need for this love that for no reason at all, he just can't have. And then he has these scenes where he just goes in, which I really like these scenes where he goes into the Jay's bar after hours, just like opens up a thing and like slides into yeah. the bar. I get it. It was like a basement bar. So he's able to slide under this grate. And Jay's always just there smoking. He's, uh, he's 20 years older than him. He's like a he's 20 years older than the rat. He's just always smoking cigarettes. Doesn't drink. Can't drink even though he owns a bar. Uh, but he just like lets, peeling potatoes. Yeah, just peeling potatoes. But he lets the rat come in and they just have all these like philosophical discussions about life, which are really interesting. And then the rat, I'm not going to give away his ending here, but yeah, I will. He ends up deciding just to move. And he doesn't even really know why he has to move. He just feels he has to move. Uh, his whole story arc is about stagnation and feeling like life's passing you by, but you're the one letting it pass you by because you're not doing anything. He spent days, 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 weeks, even months maybe just staring at the wall and listening to the same music and doing nothing. Well, and which I, I don't think they didn't touch too much on this story, but they did in the, the previous one about him being wealthy. Yeah, so, so he doesn't need money. Yeah, he's able to do that. Yeah, he, well, which is also why he's able to just decide that he's gonna leave someday. Well, he ends up dropping out of college, right? Yeah. Was that the last book or this one? I think it might have been the last yeah. one. Yeah. So, and you know what I really enjoyed, Mirakami, and this is where his brilliance really starts to shine in this book. I don't know if you got this, but like, there's a scene of. There's a lot of scenes like this throughout the whole book, but like the rat when he's driving down the beach and stuff, he's able to paint such a vivid scene where it feels like you're the one driving down mm -hmm. like a beachside, the sense of scent of the rain, the wind, like everything is so vivid, but he used the most simplistic language. Like he doesn't use crazy metaphors for any of this. The language isn't difficult at all. It's very simple, almost Hemingway-esque, but you can picture every part of it to the T. Like it's, a, it's really incredible because normally writing like that's boring. 
but he does it in a way that is not boring. Our narrator eventually becomes obsessed with pinball. I'm not going to even go into the whole arc of that because that's a long thing. But at the end, he goes to this giant warehouse where he locates his favorite pinball machine, and he does not want to play it. Uh, he just wants to talk to it. And the whole scene unfolds as if the pinball was his lost love from three years mm. ago, and it's a like a woman. And that I don't know how you felt about that, but I was like, this is... Like, if they made a movie of this, how would they do this scene? Yeah. Because the pinball all of a sudden had lips and was, like, lovingly talking to him and coquettish and just all this stuff that you would not put on a pinball machine. Mm. is a fucking pinball machine. But he made it seem like it was a person. Yeah. That was really cool how he wrote that. I have a couple sections here. I'd say, though, whenever we got into that, that's when I, like, finally... um I was like, oh, this is kind of like the Mirakami. Like, Weirdness. Yeah. It got really strange right around there. Because he goes to the warehouse with like 70 plus uh, pinball machines. And it's like an old derelict chicken factory. And everything smells like old chickens. And it was just, oh, I can't even describe it. You like, had to find a guy. You had to find a guy. There was like, that's how the wild sheep, sheep chase unfolds, by the way. The whole book is like that. Just weird shit. So if I remember correctly, that book is about like finding a sheep that has like a star on it or something. Mm. There was a couple lines in this I really enjoyed because I like the way that Mirakami can throw in like philosophical Buddhist stuff but right in the I, same I, sentence where you're talking about dog buttholes. I can say then have like a dick joke. Yeah. So let me read this one. In fact, they looked downright pissed off by the honking, although they scampered out of the way. It was impossible, of course, for them to avoid the rain. They were all soaked right down to their buttholes. Some resembled the Otter and Balzac story. Others reminded me of meditating Buddhist priest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? But what was that about a uh, horde of dogs? Yeah. There was just wild dogs in the street, and they were all wet. And it's just like they're wet down to their mm. buttholes. But then you bring up Buddhist stuff right after in Balzac. Uh, like, when I read that, I was like, I'm going to have to find a way to use that in a story. Like, so there's going to have to be a rain scene just for that. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was fucking wonderful. I swear every other page he talks about the twins' great coffee. And there's yeah. like a point, too, where... Because it kept making me want to drink coffee, too, reading this. Uh, there's a point where the arcade gets torn down and they put up a coffee shop and it's terrible coffee. And he talks about that a lot. So he must have just been obsessed with beer, coffee, and cigarettes when he wrote this. Hey, don't eat anything. Just beer, coffee, and cigarettes. Yeah. Okay, so this goes back to like the nostalgia stuff. Here's just a random excerpt. We fell silent again. What we shared was no more than a fragment of a time long dead. Yet memories remained, warm memories that remained with me like lights from the past. And I would carry those lights in the brief interval before death grabbed me and tossed me back into the crucible of nothingness. There's like a lot of that in here that just shows up in between random sections of dialogue and just, you know, whatever weird shit's happening. So it like catches you off guard every time you read something like that. Because like, wow, that's like, I need to reread that. It's like a very deep paragraph and then we go back to dog buttholes and stuff well, so. again like the uh like the first story it has a lot of weird like chapter breaks and just different again it was like you know you, it'd be in the same chapter but you would have like a couple page pages and then there'd just be like a small paragraph of a couple of lines and then another break mm. to the rest of the this was more together than the first one it was like less it was still fragmented but at least each individual fragment went together more yeah it was easier to read in that regard. This line I really enjoyed as well. I think this is after the rat leaves, or he's leaving town, or he's decided to leave town. Yeah, because this is near the end here. This is when after he, he's leaving town. He says goodbye to Jay and everything. So I'll read the last two paragraphs. 
When he closed his eyes, he could hear the winter surf striking the seawall and threading its way between the concrete blocks of the breakwater back to the open sea. Also, the elements and the uh, seasons have a lot to play in this book, too, as well, which I like. Because that's a common thing in, like, Japanese literature is, or the seasons. The changing of the seasons is a big deal over there. This is one that I have really enjoyed. At least I don't have to explain myself to anyone anymore, thought the rat. How much more warm and peaceful and quiet the bottom of the sea might be than any of those towns. But enough thinking, enough. He keeps ruminating on leaving and he doesn't want to tell Jay he's leaving for, you know, days. Like he's really nervous to tell Jay for some reason. And they're not friends really. They don't know anything about each other. They just, you know, acquaintances who talk sometimes. He has a real problem about like should he leave? Does he really need to leave? Why is he leaving? And I like that part where even at the end when he decides to leave, he knows it's not going to lead him where he needs to go. And he just ruminates like, you know, what if I just just was at the bottom of the sea? Wouldn't that be more comfortable? Just I'm there's nothing around me anymore. I'm just submerged and there, everything's dark and warm and quiet. It was almost like a reflection of being in the womb, I felt. Like this guy, because his whole story arc is he can't grow up. Hmm. You know, he just doesn't know how to grow. He's only 25 in this. He doesn't know how to grow up or doesn't want to grow up, and he doesn't want to face it because he's his intelligence uh, from the first book to this. You know, he started reading all this deep literature and stuff, but he just can't face reality, I don't think. So what you get is this guy who wants to run away from it. But again, everything in his arc is his creation because he has enough money and stuff. He doesn't need to work, really. His relationship, he just stopped calling the girl. That's all it was. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't really explain why, so... He like everything in his life is just problems of his own making. And I think that goes back to because he doesn't want to face being an adult. Uh, that was the interpretation I got from that line. Or the fact that he doesn't like being wealthy. Yeah, and does, he doesn't like being wealthy, which is described more in the first book. But again, it, it didn't really go into why that is so much, like what the real deep reason behind that is. I also felt the rat was more of uh, Mirakami's talking, like philosophical talking piece in these uh, stories. So yeah, I think you mentioned something about that. Yeah, I probably covered that in the last one. So I really enjoyed. I enjoyed that one much more than the first one because, again, like you said, with the pinball and like the weird Mirakami elements, mm-hmm. really dig their way in. We still had all the normal wells, beer, cats, like everything you love about Mirakami uh, showed up here. So. I think you'll really like the Wild Sheep Chase. Yeah. Uh, then going from there, I think you'll enjoy his other work. What did you rate this one? We gave, I think, I gave the last one a four. But like I said, I think that was probably more of a three, three and a half. Yeah. This one I gave a solid four. Yeah, that sounds about right. Four out of five. Again, really easy read. You can read in a couple hours if you wanted. I don't know if there's really much more to say about that. Do you have any other thoughts? I mean, other than diving into more like the minutia mm. of, of certain aspects but again we don't want to yeah we don't just in case if people haven't read it yeah it's, it's hard not to ruin the whole book this is one of those books same with the first uh, hear the wind sing that you can't really ruin because there's not a plot yeah so you don't have to worry about that but i don't want to go into some of the deep like the pinball stuff i didn't really want to go into the deeper elements of that because that was you know a little more than, what do you say, 20 pages or so, he really focuses on that, and he becomes obsessive with it, and you can really break that down as to why that is as well. Um, I kind of wish it was more of that. Yeah, that could have been the whole novel itself. But anyway, folks, uh, we both highly recommend it, and I think out of everything we read Mirakami-wise for the Mirakami Minute, this I like these the both, because, yeah. you know, it's interesting going back to his first novels, and then I think he's just a better novel writer than short story writer. Though some of those short stories were kind of weird. Yeah. 
So I don't know when we'll do the wild sheep chase. Maybe summer, to be, in do, the summer. To be determined. To be determined. Uh, so we thank you for listening. And this has been a Miracle Me Minute.